Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where there isn't even a normal to pass for. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and during this time of coronavirus uncertainty, protests for justice and equality and sheltering at home, I'm bringing you a special series of helpful insights and practices from experienced body-focused practitioners in order to keep you healthy, protected, calm, and balanced during this very dynamic time. Today, my guest is Bonnie Gintis, a highly regarded osteopathic physician, continuum somatic educator, and author of Engaging the Movement of Life. She is also a longtime practitioner and teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And we're going to be talking about how to stay the course, even when the course is changing all the time. So welcome, Bonnie. Thanks for having me, Sharon. These conversations with you are always incredibly creative and inspirational as they unfold into this uncertain world we live in. That's right, in this uncertain world we live in. So uh, we are in uncertain times, and everyone's declaring we're living in uncertain times, but we always live in uncertain times. So what's the difference? I think one of the biggest differences with the uncertainty that we're experiencing now is that we're all, everyone on the entire planet is experiencing this um, at least variation on a similar theme simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everyone, everyone's life every day, we have no idea what's going to happen in the next moment. Um, and each of us usually has our own um, personal set of uh, fears and concerns. But uh, it's a really interesting point in planetary history for every human on the planet to fear for the same health threat. And um, I I find it amusing to contemplate that we're all in that, we're we're synchronized in one of the many of the many of the uncertainties we have, but that this one is about health. And it's about people feeling like viscerally feeling the threat to their bodily existence. And the fact that everyone on the planet is feeling that at the same time, to me has to be significant. Right. So, um, you know, so as a physician, you have helped others through uncertainty with physical health, you know, all the time. And so how do you, how do you help people navigate when they are uncertain about their health? Great question. Uh, well, Regardless of what the issue is that someone's uncertain about, there always has to be some kind of a balance of um, uh, staying engaged in the inquiry by um, having a uh, a sense of uh, a sense of what's actually happening, like an acceptance of so-called reality and mm-hmm. acceptance. By acceptance, I don't mean that you, you approve or you like it. You just say, okay, a virus exists in the air, and I might breathe it in and get sick. So, so kind of ac- accepting that and then finding a way to combine uh, what we know, which is not a lot in this particular situation, and, um, uh, and, uh, and just how to remain curious about how you're responding in the moment and constantly checking in so that you can 
make choices based on the necessity of the moment as your as your body's leading you through life. So, um, uh, you know, so the World Health Organization, the the Center for Disease Control, our local authorities are telling us what we should or shouldn't be doing, and it may or may not be based in uh, in data that we can trust, in information that we have. Like, we all see the information changes constantly. First, it's like, don't wear a mask. Now, do wear a mask. And how much of that is theater and crowd control? And how much of it is, uh, is, 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 is real? And, uh, and, and what we claim is real changes according to the context. I mean, if you're working in an emergency room, it's really different than if you're running into your local food co-op and grabbing three food items and running home. So. Right. Uh, a lot of people are trying to come up with rules because they feel safe when they have a set of rules, like, well, if I just do this, I'll be safe. And those rules are different depending upon who you're coming in contact with, where you are when you do that, what the conditions are. So, you know, as usual, people love to come up with a set of rules or guidelines uh, to give them the illusion that they're fixing or controlling the situation. And, uh, and this pandemic is showing us, I think, more than average that uh, uh, if we try to do that, it, 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 it's going to keep changing. The rules and the conditions are going to keep changing. So it all comes back to being curious and flexible and being able to just fluidly respond to what's happening moment by moment by moment. Right. And so... Um... So you have your own ways of doing that. You have your own ways of navigating um, for your own health in response to this virus and, um, uh, and in your own health picture overall. So um, I did. Yeah. How, 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 what are the tools that you use? Well, I think some of what I've spoken to already are part of an overarching philosophy. Uh, but a philosophy doesn't do anything for a person unless they put it into practice. And I think practice is a really great word because uh, I've had several of my friends who don't have any type of a pr- practice, whether it's a somatic practice or a meditation practice, who've called me up in panic saying, can you teach me how to do this? And it's really hard in the middle of the emergency, in the middle of an emergency to teach yourself a practice that's going to be helpful. So we practice in our daily lives so that when the emergency comes, we, have, we, can, draw, we can draw on the tools. So uh, for someone who might be listening who doesn't have a set of practices, it, you know, now is, uh, people always ask me, when's the best time to meditate or do continuum? And I say, when you do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so if you don't have, to pra- don't have a practice, Start today, you know, just, just take a breath, feel how it's moving through your nostrils or where in your body do you feel it? You know, put a hand on your chest, a hand on your belly and just feel which hand do I feel my breath in? Do I feel it in one and then the other? Just ask yourself sensory-based questions. So all of my practices, regardless of whether they're continuum or something else, all have some element of being grounded in the senses. Because if you're an experiencing a sensation, it is only happening right now. If you're thinking about a sensation you had yesterday, it's a memory. 
if you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, you might have like a, you know, a mental activity about what your dinner is going to taste like, but that's a fantasy. But in the moment, if you feel your breath, you feel your body moving, if you taste a piece of food, you are sensing something in the present moment. Uh, and, 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 and that's one way that people can ground themselves in being right here, right now, and not spiraling off into catastrophizing about what might happen in the future or dwelling too much on you know, what happened yesterday. Uh, so for me, that's, that's a really important part of any practice that helps somebody deal with, deal with the, 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 this moving target of uncertainty that we're all trying to cope with right now. So if you have the ability to, to actually sense what's going on in your body, you don't have to rely on authorities so much to tell you what's happening in your body. Right. And, uh, and so what about the sensation of fear? Because I suspect that the friends that are calling you and saying, you know, teach me, please teach me how to practice right now. What they're trying to do is work with their own sensations of fear. Right. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be afraid. I mean, fear is one of the most valuable um, uh, responses we have to uh, to a perceived threat. And it's that perceived word that comes in is important. I think I think when you when you when you practice, you have an easier time delineating what is a what's an actual set threat versus what's a, a perceived threat. So I think it's important to acknowledge our fear and to try to get underneath it. And it's like, well, what is, what is my fear asking me to, to attend to? So there's usually, um, you know, people who, who spin out in a fearful response usually have some kind of a trigger that's getting them. And if you can, uh, and if you have the ability to face your fear and to really feel where it's coming from, you actually might be able to uh, address the part that is coming from your past or is being projected into your future. And all you can do is, you know, what you can do in the moment. And that's where the acceptance comes in. Um, because uh, in this pandemic, there are certain people, older people, people who have some other condition that puts them at higher risk of either getting the virus or if they do get the virus, getting sicker or dying from it the acceptance that I am human and I am going to die of something eventually. And That's this right. might be it. And all I can do is do my best to make choices that work for me and my life and, uh, and see how it all unfolds. Yeah. So when you're talking about having a practice, developing a practice, you're talking about one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, which is this idea of staying the course. This idea yeah. of, you know, continuing to have a, a, a North Star, a guiding principle that that you return to over and over again. Um, you know, often we think of staying the course as people think of it as like sticking to the plan or, you know, not getting pulled off course. I'm going there no matter what. Um, but I think that you and I see it very differently, right? How do you see the right. idea of staying the course? Well, um, uh, sticking to the plan is, is not a good idea <laughs> because the plan, the plan needs to be updated every nanosecond. 
So, I mean, I think, I think it's not a bad thing to have a plan as long as you're constantly asking yourself, you know, that's where the inquiry comes in. Like, is this plan make sense for me in this moment? Um, uh, and, uh, and someone could come to me and ask me for a plan, but I live in, in, in Vermont where no one has died of coronavirus for three weeks and someone living in New York City has a very different set of concerns. So, um, uh, so most plans that people want to stick to, that comes into that, uh, under that category of the illusion that sort of information or a, a following a protocol and being disciplined about it will keep them uh, safe and, and keep everything controlled. So, uh, yeah, so I think making a plan makes it it's okay to be thoughtful and to gather information and to um, uh, be prepared for different scenarios in your life. But the plan must be fluid and adaptable and changeable. I mean, to me, the idea of health is, uh, is more about being uh, creative in how we adapt in the moment than making part of our body like new. Because at a certain point in life, that just doesn't happen that often. And it's the way we compensate for what, what we have to work with that uh, uh, dictates the quality of our life and how, uh, how we're able to be out, out uh, just effective in the world. Right. And even the idea of staying the course, I'm thinking about, you know, how everyone's life has been disrupted in many ways. You know, they're they're having to do their work differently, either from home or spaced apart or their businesses have closed and can't quite reopen or, you know, they produce a product that can't quite be made or now, you know, businesses are shifting. So the idea that um, staying the course or making that plan or the plan of how we've done it before is also shifting. And um, absolutely. And in a way, staying the course or the idea that you're trying to honor a particular principle or goal or North Star, in a way, it's like our greatest call to adaptability. Because if we want, if I want to keep working, I can't keep working in the same way. If I want to see my friends, I can't see them in the same way, right? You know, hence Zoom. Zoom right. has been like our savior. <laughs> You know, everything's on Zoom, right? But it's such a sure sign of, of us being able to continue to do what it is we want to do, but with great adaptation. De definitely. And Zoom, uh, I, I think most people have a love-hate relationship. It's given lots of us access to things we never would have been able to attend or be a part of. And that's wonderful, but uh, uh, but there's a limitation. It, I, I feel like it took me two or three weeks to really understand uh, the limitation in Zoom, and for me to adapt adapt to it in a way. I realized I'm 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 sitting in a chair, and I'm looking into the eyes of the person on the screen, which has nothing to do with looking in their eyes. Yeah, right. And I'm not getting what I what I want because their eyes are not actually there. And for them to have the feeling that I'm looking into their eyes, I actually have to look at the camera and not at their picture on the screen. So 
so I learned how to kind of split my attention and to be with my sense of the person whose picture was there, but to look up at the camera because I knew that they would receive me better if my eyes were looking at them through the camera and that I had to stop sitting so much. And although on Zoom, it can be very distracting to others if you move around too much, uh, I found that like sitting for me, sitting on a stool without a back is better. Like my body can move a little bit more. I feel a little more natural. I need to move away from the screen. You know, we, one of the ways that we know where our body is in space is through information we get from our eyes, from a part of our inner ear, from the skin on the bottoms of our feet if we're standing, or the skin on our, on our butt if we're sitting on a chair. And, um, and when you sit and you get locked into a position and you're staring at a screen that's a fixed distance, uh, your your body forgets where it is in space, mm. and you and you and you get a and you get a little bit lost. Um, uh, now the upside of that, it's like why you get really engrossed in watching a film because you sit and you stare at the screen and you forget about yourself because you kind of go into the story you're watching. But um, uh, but uh, interesting uh, because but Zoom, in a, oh, I was going to say when you're watching a film or when you're watching TV, usually you're resting back. Even as your attention right. is going onto the screen, you're resting back. And most of us, when we're on Zoom, are somehow leaning forward. Uh, yeah, but I think the most important thing is that we're on, most people on Zoom tend to sit in a chair and get really locked into a certain position. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, uh, so I just really make sure, my, I try to keep my head like a bobblehead. Because once you stiffen up your neck, you're, you're, you've lost a lot of input to where your body is in space. So a lot of the kind of a lot of the intuitive gut feeling I get when I'm with people in person mm -hmm. is harder on Zoom when I'm being stiff. So I've learned to sort of back up, move around a little bit more, and um, uh, and to and to use my eyes differently. That, uh, that, that has certainly been helpful for me. Yes, and I find um, also that um, I'm just realizing that often when I get off of a long Zoom session, I need to be in touch contact with something that locates me. And usually it's some form of life, like fluffing my dogs or being with plants right. outside or doing something right. where I feel right. myself in uh, genuine relationship with something that's alive could even right, be myself. Right. I like, to, I like to go, I, I go out, I go outside and even if I don't have time to go take a big hike in the woods, I just like look into a, a tree and I look at the leaves and the, the sky and the space between the leaves to try to get the, the, the depth and breadth of the universe that I live in <laughs> and yeah. not just, you know, the little Hollywood square that I was just trapped in. Right, because and of you... course, I, those of us, those of us in Continuum who remember Emily talking about the internet as being a prosthetic device, like if you've lost a leg, it's really wonderful to have an artificial leg, but it's not, it's, it's never going to be like a real leg. Yeah, it's never so, going to be a um, real leg. I feel like Zoom is a fabulous prosthetic device for getting together. It, it allows us to do something that we can't do otherwise, but we have to remember its limitations and try to compensate for them as creatively as possible.
Right. And so we got into talking about Zoom because we were talking about, you know, uh, tools for adapting or that it is a tool that's helping us adapt to stay the course with what it is we're trying to do or wanting to do um, in uh, constricted circumstances. So I want to continue to talk. All right. Wanna, um, um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I want to say I have more to say about waiting. Do you want to say I want to talk about no, <laughs> let's ta- no, let's talk about waiting because waiting is inevitable. Right? When you're right, when you're right. when we are whether we're staying the course or we're pulled off course or we have no course, waiting is inevitable and we are in many ways in a period of 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 dynamic waiting right now. Yes, yes, we are. You know, I just I just had this flash memory of myself. I think it was I think it was sometime in the nineties when people were starting to get fax machines. I think that was late eighties, early nineties maybe. And I had a friend who was teaching English in China and we were faxing back I don't think I even had email yet. We were sending faxes back and forth and I remember I was waiting for a fax for her and I was so friggin' impatient and I thought, wait a minute, she's in China and I'm going to get a note from her and it's going to be here in like a minute or two. Why am I so impatient? So I feel like we've all developed these terrible habits from having instant access to so many things and we forget that um, time, time and nature I mean, when I really need to slow down, I like to think of geological time, you know, mm. like eons, you know, millions <laughs> of years. You know, there's certain things that take a really long time to unfold. Um, you know, there are all these rhythms in the body where, you know, we, we inhale for a couple of seconds, we exhale for a couple of seconds. There are many people who do different kinds of somatic practices that are in touch with other rhythms in the body that are slower than the breath you know there's some that come you know once every 10 minutes or once every 90 seconds I mean it 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 always cracks me up when people list the names of all these different rhythms in the body and how often they happen and what they think they mean because there are millions of rhythms in the body and (laughs) I was once teaching a continuum class where somebody said I felt um I felt this incredible uh, expansion, like like my whole body was exhale, it was inhaling out into the cosmos, and you know I waited for an hour and a half through the whole dive, and it was still going out, and I never felt it come back in. And they asked if I knew what that was, and I said, "Well, no, I can't say that I know what that was that you were experiencing, but what happens if there's a rhythm in the body that uh, 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 inhales for 50 years?" and turns around and then exhales for 50 years. We, we might not live long enough to feel one full inhalation and exhalation of that rhythm. So, uh, so waiting, especially when you're waiting for the unknown, is a particularly incredibly valuable practice because uh, uh, we so want to label what's familiar and what we know. And... Um, you know, in the cultural context of what's going on, uh, you know, not just in the U.S. and some version all over the world, uh, uh, racism certainly isn't new. But I think about how um, in uh, 
how long has this pandemic been going on now? Like three months, and people have gotten and uh, have gotten very impatient. And uh, I think uh, 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 a lot of white people like me have gotten a level of impatience they've never experienced before. And I thought, well, what about someone who's African American, who's been at least who's who's had ancestors in this country for 400 years like they've been waiting for something that may, may maybe maybe is on the brink of happening in a different way like um uh i think so many of us have had the privilege of not have to wait for what we want or what we need mm-hmm. and there are so many people in this country and all over the world that have had to wait for what seems like forever, forever for the basic, for for something basic that should be part of just human dignified life, and um, and they're denied it. So I, I feel like there's a a level of patience that's being called for in in um, uh, in in privileged people and uh, and uh, and in all people to kind of. Get that nothing happened. Not nothing. Just nothing's like instant coffee. Add water and stir. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there are very few things that happen instantly that are sort of complex and exactly how we want them to be, and that there's a an evolution of things that um, we need to actively be engaged with, and then we and then we have to wait because we can't control every aspect of it. We can do what we can to, uh, to share it with people and to, uh, and to open, open hearts and minds and institutions and systems and, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, and then hope that there's a sense of trust that are the fruits of our, 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 our love for life and freedom and human dignity will, 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 un, will unfold a little bit faster for those that they haven't up to now. Absolutely. And you talk about these, you know, uh, these rhythms, these rhythms of the body, these rhythms of life that go out and come in. And, um, and it's almost like a call and response, right? There's an action, there's an impulse, something happens and there's a call that's made, and then we have to wait for the response. We have to wait and feel oh, what comes back. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, and and there's always an example of something in the in the breath for me. So breathing, inhaling, although we don't have to make ourselves do it, our body will do it on the own on its own. Uh, we can we can exaggerate the breath and kind of call out with a big inhalation, and then. And then, and then we just let go at the end of inhaling, and, and we wait and listen to the response. And what happens, because we're alive, is that exhalation comes. So everything alive has something phasic that does something like inhaling and exhaling. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then if we look at what happens in society, um, Frequently, there's a call to something, and then there's a response, and then, and then things have to unfold from there. Right, it unfolds from there, and getting back to this phrase, waiting 
for the unknown. I love that phrase because we often predict, you know, what it is we're waiting for. I'm waiting for, you know, I'm waiting to get together with you next Tuesday, or I'm waiting for, uh, you know, the my garden to grow up, or I'm waiting for certain things that are are set in time, right? Uh, I'm, I'm right, I'm, and and what if and, and what if what we 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 say we're waiting for is not as good as the thing that would come if we didn't spell it out in advance, right? And so we, now we might limit our we. Absolutely. But you're saying we might limit our the possibilities of what of what comes. Um, and right now we really can't. You know, I mean, governments, at least here in California, you know, they're doing a great job of trying to help people outline. Well, you know, this is how we're going to reopen and this is how, you know, first this and then this and then this. And so people have something, again, to look forward to or to expect but really, there's always lurking, you know, it may not happen that way. It may not be able to happen that way. Right. Something else might happen. Everyone was, right. everyone was in lockdown, and then suddenly people were compelled to take to the streets. So now we're not in, right. we're out. <laughs> and now what? And maybe it's going to, um, maybe it's going to create a lot more uh, spread of the virus. Maybe it won't. We don't know yet. Right. And so how do we sit in that rather than feeling it as impatience and fear? How do we, how do we feel it to be a creative inquiry or an inquiry that has a creative response? Well, and the answer to that question is so individual and everyone, everyone, everyone will do it differently. Um, uh, just the way everybody's response to this whole situation, you know, some people, some people froze. Some people have, I, I know people who have stayed home and played dead um, uh, mm -hmm. and have barely left and have barely left the house. Uh, I know other people who like, uh, packed up their backpack in a tent and, 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 and fled and went off into the woods to just, um, uh, to be out on their own in, in, in nature. Well, obviously those two, someone who won't leave the house and someone who's going trekking off into the wilderness has a really different approach to life. So we all do it differently. And, uh, thank goodness, uh, it would be a very boring world if we all did it the exact same way. So I don't even know that I have, you know, an answer or an opinion but I do know no matter what your tendency is, uh, it's going to be a lot more creative in the long run if you're, uh, if you're responding to some necessity of your own moment and if you're um, not being fixated on a particular way of, of, of doing it. And as you said uh, earlier, I, who, oh, I was just going to say, and as you said earlier, if you have the resource of some sort of practice that connects you to something larger than yourself. Uh, right, right. Because our, our small selves are somewhat untrustworthy. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> uh, if you have a practice that, you know, because we have these crazy minds that, um, uh, you know, they secrete thoughts like our sweat glands secrete sweat. They're, they just can't help themselves. And 
and so many of us take ourselves literally. So, uh, so not taking our thoughts literally, that's another, another good thing that people can practice doing. Well, um, well I interrupted you. Uh, you were, you were you about know, to tell me a story about a friend. Oh, I, it's, it's, I think it's lost. So, okay. Well, uh, yeah. Um, So to come back, yeah. we're we're uh, we're going to be wrapping up soon, which I can't believe I could talk to you forever. Um, just to come back to this idea of really staying the course, staying the course with oneself, yeah. right? Finding a guiding principle mm-hmm. that helps you track where you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that for you? Right, and I, I can only speak for myself. What is that for me? I feel like all of, all of my fra- practices have... Uh, certain elements in common. I'm always uh, identifying what I'm sensing inside of my body, what I'm sensing that's coming from outside of my body. Because a lot of people convince, confuse those two things and get in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't always tell the difference, but um, uh, and then a tremendous amount of what I think I'm sensing is actually coming from my mind. So I'm constantly questioning. You know, what is that thought about? Is that thought helpful? Where do I feel that thought in my body? Can I experience that as something other than a thought? And uh, and the last part of all of my practices have some sense of being connected to something other than myself, whether it's being connected to nature or connected to other people, being part of a community. Uh, I frequently feel like it's helpful when I get... Uh, too caught in breathing my own noxious fumes to um, to either connect with nature or to reality check with somebody that I feel connected with in some way. So, uh, uh, so I think it's great to have breath practices and movement practices and body oriented practices. But to me, all of those practices have some uh, some inquiry into what's happening inside of me, outside of me in my head or in connection with something other than myself. Uh, that, those are the realms where I check in and it helps keep me grounded and just able to, able to respond and flow creatively with the moment into the next period of the unknown. And I accept it's a little bit like the horizon. You know, you can see it and know that it's there and as you walk towards it, it keeps moving one step ahead of you. You're never going to get there. And uh, the unknown is like that. We just keep living our lives into it, and it keeps moving one step ahead of us, and we just keep walking into it, and then we find out all we can do is find out what it is in the moment when we need it and uh, and see what happens next. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Bonnie, I thank you so much for this uh, incredible conversation. Oh, you're conversation. so welcome, Sharon. It's, uh, I, I, I feel like when we have these conversations, uh, 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 something, 
something unknown or unexpected opens up and I just start spilling words out in that direction. So it's fun. It's fun to share this and to everyone listening. Uh, I hope I hope some of the things we've pondered here uh, lead you into a, a greater creative adaptability in whatever whatever's going on in your little world. Amen to that. So, um, mm-hmm. can you tell listeners how they can uh, be in contact with you, find out more about you, read your book? Um, uh, yes. Yeah. I. Yes, my my uh, uh, my book is called "Engaging the Movement of Life," and you can get it. Uh, through your local bookstore, preferably, or through Amazon, if that's the only way. And uh, you can find me. Uh, I have a blog, a website at bonniegintis.com, B-O-N-N-I-E-G-I-N-T-I-S.com. And um, uh, right now I have no teaching on the schedule, but in the future I might. Also through the Continuum Teachers Association, continuumteachers.com. Those are the places to look for what I'm up to in the world. Yeah. Bonnie, thank you so much. What a great time. Oh, you're time. so very welcome, Sharon. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.